This is episode 18 of One Page at a Time, Loving Your Spouse and Your Sacred Text. We are your hosts, Jill Barrett-Given and Amanda Freestrom. This episode is an interview with Dr. David Dollahite and Dr. Lauren Marks to talk mostly about how reading religious texts can strengthen your marriage and your faith, and also about some things to avoid with this deeply personal subject of religion. Though it is centered around sacred text, many of the principles we discuss are applicable to any form of reading, and there are some great ideas and examples for reading together as spouses in general. Podcasting from Virginia and Dubai. This is One Page at a Time, where we bring you strategies and resources for using books in your home. We are your hosts, Jill and Amanda. This is a continuation of episode 15, Holy Script, Sacred Texts in the Home. If you haven't listened to that one yet, you might want to start there first. We talked to doctors David Dollahite and Lauren Marks of the American Families of Faith Project and professors at Brigham Young University. The first part of the interview is focused on families interacting with sacred texts, while the second part focuses more on the marriage relationship specifically. I start this section off by asking about marital effects of using religious texts together as spouses. On their website for the American Families of Faith Project, you can find out specifics about all the areas of a marriage that religion and religious texts specifically affect, but we're going to jump right in as Dr. Lauren Marks shares some of his thoughts. If we accept the the premise that thoughts become words and words become action, that tends to be the pattern that's followed. Then, as the poet Emerson says, that, that our action becomes our character and our character becomes our eternal destiny. I think that most of the world's faith traditions explicitly ascribe to that kind of view, that thoughts matter and that words matter even more. And then you have the, the opportunity to convert words into action, etc. The divine word, the word that's held as divine, gives you a, a, a very unique, a, a sacred platform for both your thoughts and your words. And at best, uh, when we live out the positive elements of our faith, that yields very very discernible real-world results, as, as uh, the research indicates. Something that we're becoming increasingly aware of, though, and it shows up in our study, is that, that in fact, it's, it's not uh, faith is not a magic pill, that in many cases it becomes distorted, that it becomes used as a tool of power or to dominate, and that there is danger in faith when it's applied without compassion, without wisdom. And so it, as we as we continue to learn and study this topic as, as scholars of faith and as husbands and fathers, it's of deep concern to us that husbands and wives are, are acutely aware that it's not just what they read. It's not just what they claim to believe that matters. It's how they, how they convert that into how they treat others and ultimately, and most importantly, perhaps into what and whom they become. Dave? Yeah, so your observation that that religious beliefs and practices and communities can have tremendous and wide-reaching impact on, on marriages and on, on individuals and on families, uh, we would confirm that the, the research done by many, many scholars, you know, hundreds of scholars over decades of time, 
has shown that religion is powerful. There's no question that it's powerful. Lauren's been talking about the fact that it can be powerfully positive. It can also be powerfully negative. So faith, religion, spirituality, like nuclear energy, can be tremendously powerful when used well, when, when channeled, when, when uh, checked. But like nuclear energy, can be destructive when it's uh, not handled well. And so, yeah, stories are powerful to human beings, and sacred stories are even more powerful. Thoughts are powerful, and thoughts about sacred things um, tend to have depth, depth of meaning and implications about life. That If you believe uh, that there's a God, that can answer your prayers and help you during difficult times, that is a resource that can make a real difference. If you believe that binding yourself to your spouse in the in the sort of name of God and, and in, the, in, in a religious tradition, if you believe that that can, uh, that, that is important and that's real and that that can, that is what God would like you to do, uh, the research indicates that that tends to make a difference. Uh, the people we've interviewed would say things like, you know, our marriage has challenges like every marriage. We've had our ups and downs. And some, many of them said something like, if we didn't take our faith seriously, if we didn't take our religious vows that we made to each other and to God when we were married, we probably would have divorced the way that many of our friends and, and uh, co-workers and neighbors have. Because marriage is hard, but our faith and, our, and the fact that we take our faith seriously, we take our vows seriously, has allowed us to weather the, the storms uh, in, our, in our relationship. If you believe that reading sacred texts is important, is commanded of God, is a meaningful thing to do, and you take the time to find ways to do that, the potential is that that can send a message to your kids, to yourselves, and to others, that you believe that God is real, that you believe that He uh, has spoken, and that those words of God are available, and you take them seriously, and that can be a tremendous binding force within within a family. If husband and wife and if parents and children are unified in their belief and unified in their commitment to the things of God, that has tremendous potential to influence uh, marriage relationships, uh, personal psychology, life in general, health and well-being. So, yep, religion is incredibly powerful, and religion, when applied in life, in, in, in ways that are thoughtful and wise and compassionate and other-oriented uh, have the potential to be very powerful uh, to produce positive results. On the other hand, religion, when approached in a, in a selfish way, in a thoughtless way, in a domineering way, in a, in a dogmatic way, uh, can be quite harmful uh, in marriage and family life. So what are some of the positive ways that we can implement religious texts to improve our relationship with our spouse? Um, well, I think we, we've, we've said a lot of things along the way. Taking the time, making the effort to engage with sacred texts in ways that make sense in your marriage and in your family, and in ways that honor the agency of each person involved, in ways that honor their person, in ways that honor their time, their being, their styles, their, their honor them. That can be really, really important. Doing sacred texts as simply a way to check off a box or imposing one's own preferences and predilections about how to do sacred texts, how long to do it, you know, how to approach it, where it should be done. In other words, imposing one's own views and values of sacred texts on other people 
that's harmful. So in a way that honors the relationship, that honors the person, and that honors God is positive, doing ways that uh, does not do honor to each other's persons and each other's choices and each other's preferences, and frankly, each other's challenges and and context. If someone is tired and they have a headache, if someone is distracted, if someone is, is in other ways not really ready to engage with sacred text, to insist upon that over and above their the place where they are now can very well be problematic. Doesn't mean that, that you say we will we will never read text or engage in sacred text together because someone prefers not to. It means that you find ways to do it that would be a blessing for that person and not a burden. Lauren? So Amanda and Jill, I think back to early in our married life, my wife and I had the tradition and ritual. We we didn't have much television at that point, didn't have much of anything in terms of material, <laughs> material goods, but we got in the habit early in our marriage of having one person read out of classical literature, not sacred text, but classical literature, while the other was doing the dishes. Play Miserables by Victor Hugo. My wife is a big Jane Austen fan. That kind of literature. And it was interesting that it gave us a common a common language. We, we were having a shared experience through great literature. And throughout our marriage, uh, we've continued to read uh, out, of, out of wonderful classics out loud as a family. And reading sacred texts together in our family has has done the same thing. It's it's given us kind of a common language and a common experience, but it has that that added layer of the divine with it. Uh, And the sacred text provides something a little bit more to fall back on when challenges and decisions come. And we have enjoyed that common language, that common perspective, that reading sacred text at the same time as a family uh, has provided. So I'd like to just share uh, along the lines of what Lauren was just sharing. I believe it's really important for families, uh, for parents in particular, to not only read sacred text aloud together, but to also read other good books together. Obviously, each couple and each person, each family is going to have their own list of what they consider to be good and what they enjoy. In our earlier years as a family, when we had seven young kids, I would read out loud to my kids each night from various books, from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, from Rowling's Harry Potter series, from other series. There's there's something really powerful about being together in a place at a time uh, and reading good stuff, interesting stuff, meaningful stuff together. Uh, It got to the point where, you know, some of my older kids would not want to wait for the, you know, the dad reading of the next Harry Potter book or chapter. And so we, we purchased multiple copies for our older kids to read on their own. But the rule was we're still going to read as a family. And you're not allowed to, you know, do spoilers. You know, you, you've already read. You know, it's coming up. You need to let those that that are younger and that haven't, uh, you know, read it, uh, enjoy the experience. And and you know, my kids will tell you that hearing their dad read things and and getting emotional at certain parts when when certain things happen, when when certain events are are uh, related in the book. And then you know, what, why did that matter to you? Uh, sure, they're a little embarrassed that dad's, you know, crying uh, because Dumbledore's died. You know, wh- wh- why should that matter? You know, it, 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 it's not a real person. 
Well, it's about being willing to be real and open about life and about the events of life. And sure, Dumbledore isn't a real person, but I have real people in my life who have died. And when I read certain kinds of literature, um, those things come to bear. Um, I believe it's really important for parents to not only be religious, not only focus on uh, the sacred texts of their of their community, but to also have broader interests, to have other interests, to share themselves with their children. If children see that their parent only really has one way of thinking and one way of speaking and one one uh, language and one set of, of texts that they value, they're perhaps not going to value that as much as if they see that their parents have, in terms of music, in terms of books, in terms of, of hobbies, they have broad interests, they're an interesting, engaging person, and they say that their faith is the most important to them of all those otherwise interesting, valuable things. So that's just my own perspective. Wow, I love that. And spoiler alert there, if you haven't read the Harry Potter series, sorry about that. I want to talk a bit about both of your comments, starting with Dave, and then I'll come back to Lawrence. I'm thinking about my own life and those of my friends and family, and I see a lot of opportunity for spouses to be out of sync with each other, making this mutual respect for each other really difficult to have in the first place, let alone maintain. And since we're all on our own personal journeys, you know, some involving careers, some involving staying home with kids, different histories with experience studying religious texts, mental, physical health, it's only natural that we'd be in very different places from our significant other before even sitting down to the table together to read sacred text and talk about it to deepen our relationship. Can you speak a little personally or about any research that may address spouses getting in sync with each other so studying their sacred text or reading in general can be beneficial and come from a place of mutual respect? Or, I guess more succinctly, how can we get to a sort of baseline of respect despite our differences with our spouses? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know that our own research has addressed that. I'm not thinking of something off the top of my head. Perhaps Lauren will. Mental illness is a whole other kind of a topic and issue, and we, we have not dealt with that directly in our data. Our data are a non-clinical sample, so we don't have you know, data that we, our own particular data that deals with that. But other studies have, have looked at this and found that, yeah, mental illness can definitely affect religion. Um, there's one study that shows that the more religious couples were, the more positively it affected their marriage, except in the case where husbands were neurotic, was the, the clinical condition that was studied in that particular study. And where husbands have sort of mental illness and they're more religious, it tends to cause some serious problems. Each couple has to figure out how to love each other to uh, be understanding and patient and caring toward each other with their experiences, challenges, preferences. Everyone's on the spectrum of, of some kind of a mental illness, uh, and most of us are on the spectrum of, of multiple. So we're all dealing with you know less than full mental health, and how religion intersects with that is it's really important that people not project onto others especially their spouse, negative judgments from the fact that they might approach, uh, you know, interpret faith differently, live out their faith differently in terms of, of commandments. And every religion has 
ideals and standards and some restrictions and some expectations and how couples at different times in their life in most cases will be different from their spouse and individuals grow and change and uh, over the course of a marriage almost all couples find that they have uh, they look at uh, across the table with their spouse and they realize that this person that they're now married to is not the same person that they married or that they once were married to. And the fact is probably will not be the same person that they're going to be married to in five or 10 or 15 years. The same person, yes, but that that person has changed in some important ways. And so those couples that are able to draw from their faith, their their sacred texts, their their traditions, ways to be compassionate and understanding, uh, flexible and long-suffering and, and gentle and patient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, will do well. Those people who choose to try to dictate to their spouse how they should think about and how they should act in relation to their, their faith, those persons who, who insist that their spouse uh, agree with them or, or toe the line that they would like towed or you know uh, change themselves to be more like, uh, like I am, uh, obviously those marriages are going to have serious trouble. So those things obviously cut across whatever the issue is, whether it's in-laws or or chores, or or politics, or work, or religion. The thing with religion is it has the potential to be the most helpful for couples and the most harmful, depending upon how they bring their religion to bear in their marital relationship. That was a long answer, Lauren. Amanda and Jill, I'll say, you mentioned earlier that all marriages experience dissonance and discord. That certainly is true. Daily, weekly, uh, we are different individuals. We're different people. And although we have shared challenges in marriages, we also have challenges that are individual to us uh, as a wife, as a husband, as a mother, as a father, as employees, as students. Uh, you, you fill in the blank. One of the most helpful things that I've come across in terms of the research is the great uh, marital researcher, John Gottman, talks about what what he calls the magic 30 minutes. And he urges wives and husbands to make at all cost a little bit of time each day to listen, to talk, to talk through events of the day, to talk through challenges. When you have young kids, it's almost impossible to get in a complete sentence uh, without being interrupted before the kids are in bed. And I understand how tough that is. Some have a, a cup of coffee together after dinner. Some go for uh, a walk together. Some go for a drive together, but make that a priority so that they can stay synchronized uh, so that they can eliminate some of that dissonance and discord. I think it's a, a very pragmatic and helpful piece of counsel from some leading therapists that we found very helpful uh, in our marriage. Even if it's as simple as saying, honey, I look at you. I know you well. I love you. I see some tension in your face. What are the top three concerns going through your mind right now? Um, will you please just share those with me? Uh, that kind of a, a brief, consistent check-in can be very helpful. That's a dream to have 30 minutes every, every day with your spouse, right? He does call it the magic 30 minutes. And so you want or something to, to make that happen, make time stop for 30 minutes. You know, there, you, might have, you might have to employ magic. <laughs> we have taken so much of your time. So 
I'll ask one more question from Lauren's previous comment about a, a few minutes ago. I, I wanted to ask about spiritual role models in religious texts that couples can look toward. It can be from any religious text that you're familiar with, but do you have any, any anyone you'd recommend that we, as we're trying to strengthen our relationship with our spouse, that we could look toward in these texts? We've talked quite a bit, both Dave and I, about how important sacred text is, and we've also strongly endorsed reading other wonderful texts with your children, with your spouse, uh, having a broad, diverse, and rich view of life, of human experience. For me, to model this for a minute, my own dad loved to study the scriptures. He was also a huge Mark Twain fan. And in addition to studying the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible as a family, we read a lot of Mark Twain. And Mark Twain, one of his more obscure writings, is called The Diary of Adam and Eve. And in The Diary of Adam and Eve, Eve drives Adam crazy most of the time. He doesn't understand her. There is distance. There is discord. And yet you see develop in him a, a tolerance, an admiration, a respect. And at the conclusion of Adam's diary, which Mark Twain wrote, he says, where Eve was, there was Eden. And it's one of the more beautiful lines, I think, in literature. And my dad has shared that several times with us as kids, perspective on how he feels about our mother. Going back to Dave's previous comment about the importance of having a richness in both sacred and other literature, that's an example that strikes me that relates to marriage. I'll follow up on Lauren's comment and say, yeah, Adam and Eve is a, a couple that, that is common to all uh, sacred texts of all the Abrahamic faiths, that is uh, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. So Adam and Eve, a number of couples may find some value in, in studying together the story of Adam and Eve. There are other couples in the Hebrew Bible that are discussed, Abraham and and Sarah and, and others. My caution, however, would be that we have very little information other than you know what's in the sacred text. And, and while it can be helpful to read into prototypical or archetypal stories like Adam and Eve, like Abraham and Sarah, like Joseph and Mary, there's also potential for danger there. If one thinks that one's own current interpretation of a verse in the Bible or of a story in, in one sacred text, if one believes that one's own uh, current understanding and interpretation of that is the right way to think about it and somehow gives someone uh, the ability to tell someone else how they should think or what they should do, then I think there's real danger. If a couple, if a person uh, in a marriage approaches sacred texts, and, and you asked about exemplars in, in, uh, of marriage and, and sacred texts, if one approaches those stories from the perspective of what can I learn from this to be a better spouse, a, a more humble, kind, gentle, loving, patient, honorable, faithful spouse, then I think it's fine. However, if one approaches it ever as, well, you know, honey, this in the sacred text, it says that so-and-so did thus and such. I think that means that you should change and do what I think you should do. You should be more like what I want you to be. Then that is that is oppression, that is uh, coercion, that is inequality, that is uh, that is contrary, in my view, to the core values and to the overarching message of sacred text, which is 
that one ought to read sacred texts uh, with one's own weaknesses, limitations, failings, sins in mind, and never read sacred texts as a way to justify trying to tell someone else about their sins or their weaknesses or their limitations or what they ought to do to change to make me more happy. Dave and I are close enough that and our wives are close enough. Sacred text is something we've discussed. My wife loves to read out of a specific uh, church-published magazine each night before she goes to sleep. That's her pattern of personal scripture study. I love to read ancient scripture. That's that's kind of a, a love of mine. We're very different in that way. And I've, I've come to realize there are strengths and weaknesses of both approaches, But one of the wonderful things is that we both have things that we can constantly teach each other and learn from each other. I think recognizing the strength and diversity of approaches is important in a marriage and in a family as you try to build tradition. Well, my wife and I's different approach, we've been married 30, coming up on 36 years now. The simple way to say it is that we have very similar feelings and commitments to God and to our our family, but we also have many, many differences in how we approach things kind of in the secular world as well as things uh, in in the religious world. And for example, uh, when we do our weekly religious devotional on Sunday evenings and we take time to, to spend time together to sing sacred uh, songs together to read sacred texts, to share sacred experiences. My wife would, would really strongly want us to every single week to read out loud from our sacred text. When our kids got older and, and were teenagers and young adults, I really enjoyed kind of having a, a conversation about a, a topic or an issue or a question that, that they were having. My wife you know, she loves me and she would want to support and honor me as a father trying to engage with my children in religious ways. And, and she wants to support my kind of a, a approach. Uh, but I love and honor and support her approach. And her approach is to read directly from the Word of God. Mine is more to talk about our own ideas and thoughts about the Word of God. And we have had to sort of balance that and take turns and, and try to honor each other's you know, preferences uh, in that. And our children have seen us work that through. That They're well aware that mom feels really strongly about this and dad feels strongly about other kind of things. But they've seen us try to work well together and, and allow both of us to sort of have the thing that we think is most important be a part of what we do. And the good news is in any family interaction, any you know, family gathering, uh, there's no reason why you can't do both of those things. Read sacred text, uh, some degree, some amount of that, and then have meaningful conversations where you talk about tough uh, questions and issues uh, related to that or related to your faith uh, in general. This is bringing to mind an image of a unified and equal partnership in this important relationship that really does set the stage for positive experiences together and as a family with sacred texts, well, and as a whole. I'm grateful for your insights professionally and personally. As a quick wrap up, where can we learn more about your work and the American Families of Faith program? So um, those who would like to learn more about the project, there's a couple of uh, possibilities. One is our website, uh, AmericanFamiliesOfFaith.byu.edu. We also have a, a book that we wrote called Religion and Families, um, written by Lauren D. Marks and David 
C. Dollahite, um, published by Taylor and Francis Rutledge um, a couple years ago. And that provides a summary of uh, many of the ideas that we've shared and, uh, and w- is, was written for a young adult uh, audience. Um, it was written as a college text, but it, it's not textbook-ish uh, in the sense of being uh, focused on kind of picky little ideas. It's, we tried to write in a way that, that we thought was, uh, was going to be engaging for, for a, a millennial audience. So, so those, the, the, the website and the book are, are two resources. Lauren, do you have other suggestions? Those are the two top ones. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and, and help us better use religious and sacred texts in our family. So thank you very much. You're welcome. We're, we're both uh, delighted to try to help. So Amanda, this interview was one of the first ones that we did when we were starting our podcast. And I remember when we were talking to Dr. Dalhay and Dr. Marks that I was so impacted by what they said to us that day. And now all these months later, as we were getting ready to publish it and as we were going through and editing, I felt the exact same way. I felt that same impact that I had felt when we were originally talking to them. And I felt encouraged and I felt uplifted. And I just think there's so much power in that, that it had that effect no matter when I was listening to it and with all this time in between. Um, And for that reason, I think that's kind of why we split it up into two episodes, because we were like, we don't really want to cut out any of it. We want all of this in. So that's how we got our our two separate episodes out of this one. It's true. And they were so gracious to give us so much of their time. I mean, this is one of the interviews that is certainly life changing for me. I had never put religious text specifically into this context before as being such an important factor in a relationship and just the respect that these two men have for reading and books in general as a whole and how reading and books can affect families and relationships. It's remarkable and really thought-provoking. They deal with families all day, every day. It's what they research, it's what they breathe, it's what they live. And it was a huge eye-opener to me to hear them talk about books with such reverence. And it really was affirming being one of the first interviews that we did to really help solidify that books really can affect our lives in such profound ways. I'm really grateful that we started off with this interview and that we had this in our minds for context. And I'm even more excited now that we have shared it and people can listen to it and hopefully have the same impact on their own lives as well. I think it's really, really awesome that we could kind of see the effect that all of this had on their own lives as we talked to Rachel Lamborn whose episode we aired last week and how much she uses books in her life. And she had to have gotten that at least in part from her parents, which she is the daughter of Dr. Dalahite, one of the professors that we interviewed for this episode. Rachel Lamborn's episode and, and talking to her and interviewing her was one where I was just blown away by the amount that she is able to use the written word in her family's life. Then to come and listen to her father talk about it, like you said, with such reverence, whether it's religious texts, which they definitely hold in reverence, but they also talk about other types of books, using them between them and their spouse and and what that can do to strengthen their marriage. Um, And then you see the effect of it on, on his daughter. 
later talking to Rachel. And it's just such an awesome connection that I want for my own family and my own kids. So, and Dr. Dollahite said that it can be problematic if one spouse isn't ready to read sacred text for whatever reason. And he specifically includes being distracted in there, which is probably 99% of the time when my husband comes to me and he's like, um, we should probably read together. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I'm really not thinking about that at all. I feel like it goes even a step beyond that. If someone is not ready to read sacred text together for whatever reason, and then the spouse doesn't necessarily have to insist on reading, but also just depending on their reaction to that, it can be belittling, it can be demeaning, it can be, you know, I am holier than you sort of a thing because I want to read. Like there are just so many different attitudes that you can approach in this situation that make it a really complex dynamic between two spouses. And I had honestly never thought about this complexity before, but it makes total sense that when you're talking about religion, divinity, things that you hold so close and personal for yourself, that's just opening up a lot of vulnerability. And the amount of respect that you need to have for each other and to understand how you show respect for each other is so important. And I love that they talk about that at length, that they talk about, you know, the differences between them and their wives and how they have had to kind of assess and and really just think about the other person as well. And that that comes first before checking the box and saying, we have to do this thing. It's going to make our marriage better. It's going to make us feel closer to God. It's going to, you know, do all these things. So we have to do it. But first, for it to fulfill any of those things, you really just need to be on good footing with your spouse. I definitely fall into that category where my husband and I are very different in almost everything. And that includes how we go about studying certain things. And so we kind of have this rhythm where we sort of take turns of whose way we do it, depending on the night or the week. And I usually kind of just wait with impatience until it's my turn to do it my way. And then I'm like, okay, now we can, you know, now we can really get into it. Whereas that's not, that's not right. I need to be really looking at the way my husband goes about it and looking at the strengths of his way and looking what it brings to us as a couple and our whole family and appreciating that, that we as a couple and we as a family have both views of it and not just mine. Once you're able to find what Marks and Dollahite are talking about between you and your spouse, once you're able to get to that space together, I can definitely see how it strengthens your marriage and your family exponentially in so many different areas. I agree. And that's, and I, I think it's cool that even just figuring out how to go about studying together will strengthen your marriage before you've even gotten into the actual text and the actual principles that it can teach you. Just figuring out how to come together as spouses to do it in the first place is going to bring you closer together. It's true. When Dr. Marks is talking about doing the dishes together and someone is reading a book to the other, there had to be a conversation or multiple conversations that took place before that started occurring, that they figured out that that's what they wanted to do. And then trade off, you know, who's going to do the dishes, there's a lot of compromise there. There's a lot of 
Um, what books are you going to read? There's just a lot of conversing there. That's very true. So we are, as always, so, so grateful that Dr. Dalhai and Dr. Marks were able to take a large chunk of time out to talk to us and that we are now able to share it all with you. So thank you. Thank you again for that. We hope that you enjoyed some of what they shared with us and are able to use it in your life. And before we let you all go, we just want to remind you that World Read Aloud Day is coming up this week. Check out our social media and our website for all those details about our giveaway. We are giving away a book and all you have to do is read out loud in any way that you can. So we've got lots of lots of ways to do it and earn points. Take a look at our website, our blog, social media yep february 5th and 6th 48 hour blitz so get ready for it our website onepagepodcast.com and one is spelled out o-n-e onepagepodcast.com and we are one o-n-e underscore page underscore podcast on instagram and facebook but however you find us go find us and join us on that world read aloud day and we'll see you there until then we'll talk to you later